G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. The song Reality, it really sprung out of one line. And when you're on your own and it's just you, does your heart long for more? There's people in my own family that I sing that for. You know, and it's, I guess it's offered as a song for anyone who has that moment like that where when you, you get that inkling of a spark or a connection, then don't let go of it. You know, Savour it like a really great taste in your mouth. The Story. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story, where today we have a musical one for you with Mick MacGyver. He's a singer, songwriter, guitarist and all-round creative guy based in Victoria's Yarra Valley. Today we'll hear his life journey and the inspiration behind a few of his songs. That's Mick MacGyver chatting with Eric Scadabo, who also invited a long-time friend of Mick, Peter Menhennet, to join the conversation. It's good to be with you again, Mick. Good to see you, Pete. You don't look a day older than the last time I saw you. That's right, yeah. We <laughs> met in the early 90s. Uh, we went to the same church. We did. And uh, we both took part in the uh, performing arts company there. We did, Mud Pack. Mud Pack. And, uh, that was the name of it, Mud Pack? Yeah. yeah. Mudbrick Performing Arts Company. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. What kind and, of things uh, did you do? Oh, we wrote the productions that we did every Christmas and we did them at Easter as well. Correct. They were big musical extravaganzas with a cast of dozens of people from within the church. And it was very, very popular. It was. And, Used uh, to fill the place. Yep. We had a season that would run maybe seven nights and it was standing room only. Yep. Every one of those nights. And what did you do, Mick? My main involvement with Mudpack was on the worship team playing and leading worship and I was involved in some of the productions, mainly some of the Easter productions, but um as a musician I wasn't I make a great actor. No. <laughs> as an actor I make a great musician. That's the way around. <laughs> there you go. But uh, we had live music in many of those productions yes, and yeah. Mick was part of the band That's that it. produced that beautiful music. So obviously music is a big part of your life, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. Where were you born and raised? <laughs> I was born in a, a town that hopefully your listeners will know called Yalorn. It's a town that no longer exists. Well, exists in name only because it was a part of an open-cut uh, coal mine way out east of uh, Melbourne. And um, the town was always going to be reclaimed. So that there were houses and a whole town built on the site, but... Uh, uh, the residents there knew that one day that the coal would be claimed and the houses would have to go, and that's what's happened. So it's now a giant hole in the ground that I drive past and proudly say to my children, that's where I was born, that hole there. <laughs> <laughs> so you literally can say you came from a hole in the hole ground. ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a dark brown black hole. And not everybody can say that. It sure is. Well, yeah. what happened after you were born? <laughs> well, you <laughs> after you got out of the hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we moved around a fair bit. Dad was a teacher, and um, we moved around with his teaching appointments. But eventually settled in the outer east of Melbourne in a um, Glen Waverley, 
then in Springvale and did most of my growing up in Springvale, which is the multicultural place it, it always has been. You know, people think it's multicultural now, but it was then too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It used to have the migrant hostel uh, where the whatever the intake of migrants was at the time would come through the hostel. Yeah. And when did music enter into your life? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I had a really good mate in um, primary school who had had polio when he was young and um, he, uh, unable to take part in any kind of sporting life, his parents bought him a guitar and I wanted to be, he was a brilliant guitarist and I um, wanted to be just like like Pete. And, uh, so Not I, this Pete. No, this well, I, I want to be just like Pete, as handsome and dapper as he is. But <laughs> that's another story. That's a different thing. Yeah, I love you too, Mick. <laughs> hey, I'm giving you a plug here, buddy. <laughs> Um, but getting back to the story. Yeah, uh, yeah, back to the story. So, yeah, I wanted to be like Pete. I pestered my, my parents. There's a bit of alliteration for you. Hmm. And they, they bought me a guitar when I was about 11 years old and um, just went on from there. I just found my, hit my straps, had lessons for about two weeks, and then the teacher moved. And uh, But have been playing guitar ever since and uh, been around music ever since. So, And Mick has a claim to fame that no one else can try to grab. He's the instigator of the largest outdoor musical performance in the whole of the Yarra Valley. Oh, yes. Probably the whole of um, the eastern side of Melbourne. Is that right? Yes. I I don't know that we could claim... I'll claim the Yarra Valley one, but I don't know that we can claim the whole eastern side of Melbourne. That's a Carols by Candlelight event. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, on a, if the weather's we have that we have them outdoors in Warburton yep. a, as they stand, it'll probably be a little bit different this year. Uh, if the weather's good, we'll get five thousand people turn up. Uh, at Fantastic! The, these at a free event where people who, in in my eyes, my summary of it is people who would never darken the door of uh, any church will turn up and they'll sit on the lawn and they'll sing the ancient carols. Yeah, mm. isn't um, that great? It's an amazing. It's, it's an amazing opportunity and one that we're mindful not to waste when it comes our way. So, Okay. And going back to growing up, uh, was faith a part of your life in your childhood? Absolutely, yeah. I was born into a house of faith and uh, very observant of their faith, my parents were. And uh, and I grew up, I, I have very, even though I, I've progressed on from that stage and that's just the natural, the way things happen when you grow up, I guess, but but very grateful to my parents for for the seeds they sowed. You know, they gave me a great grounding in in how to believe and what to believe just through their own example of faith and their diligence to being faith-filled people too. Uh, my dad was a man of deep prayer and, um, you know, even though he died when I was only 25, so I kind of missed the best years, you mm. know. But I can honestly say that what I believe today has a founding in fact, you know, there's a really interesting story to that. Um, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to the, to Scotland a few years ago, which is where my parents were from. And we were, went to the island of Iona, which is where um, faith came to the north of England through Iona, through the island of Iona. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting on the dock waiting for the ferry uh, as we'd had this, my wife and I had had this amazing day sitting, uh, walking all over the island of Iona. And I looked at her and I said, do you realize the faith that we inherited could be attributed to the work of this, the people that came to this island? We were sitting in that place where that our faith was had come through. It was almost like we'd come full circle. So, yeah, that's a sense of deep gratitude for for the work of the, the people that that brought faith through Iona and what we inherited through mm-hmm. that as well. So 
Now, you, you just mentioned your wife, so obviously you got married. Tell us a little bit about uh, Bernadette. Bernadette, yes, Bernie, Bernadette. Uh, Bernadette's my, we just celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, well you. done. Had dinner last night with all of our beautiful kids to celebrate that, which, well, not all, one of them's in England, but we phoned him and said hello. And did that. <laughs> That's good. So Bernadette and I met when we were about 16 or 17. We were on, we had gone on a leadership training course and crossed each other's paths and, um, I was smitten pretty much from, from day one and but she wasn't smitten by me so I, it took a couple of years of, <laughs> of pursuing and persuading uh, but uh, once she realized my natural charm and beauty that we're, we're authentic then she, oh she that's was, wonderful yeah. <laughs> and and i can say from knowing them for a few years they're both mutually smitten still yes it's oh, good 37 years later yep well that's one thing we we say to each other it is we just and we tell people quite proudly we say we're still really good friends apart from mm -hmm. apart from yeah. the natural state of love you know we're actually still really good friends and i understand that you were involved in ministry together uh after we were getting yep. married yeah uh not long after we'd had our well, bernadette was pregnant with our third child and we had received confirmation that a proposal we'd put together to uh, live in Christian community and run a retreat centre uh, for mainly for secondary school students um, had been approved and so the property had been made available and on the 1st of January in 1988 we moved into a place called Casa Polotti which is a, um, a campsite that's built around a, a 100 year old house uh, so we ran it as a house of welcome and we invited people to come and live and share with us based pretty much based on what I call a poetic understanding of Acts 2.42, you know, where they, you know, they're great, uh, 42 to 47, where they talk about how they lived together, they shared things in common, they went from house to house and got added to their number daily, those that were being saved. And so we lived in this, that expression of community in that place, and but we didn't want it to be introverted. We wanted to be um, a place where we could actually evangelise as well. So we ran retreats that where we got students coming mostly for three days at a time, mm -hmm. and then we would run programs. Um, we we called it that we ran retreats for people that didn't want to go on them because you know, <laughs> they were only there because the school said we're having a retreat, you're going kind of thing. Yeah, and so we we would run these retreats and. Um, yeah, do our best. You know, so we had some wins. Well, how do you run a retreat for somebody who doesn't want to be there? Well, you you work really hard. You get really smart at working with the peer group. Um, at, at what age again was it? Most mostly senior secondary school students, so fifteen to seventeen years old, mm -hmm. that kind of age group. Yeah, and there were you know it varied, but that was the main thrust of what we did. But yeah, you work very hard with the peer group and you work to win the peer group over to actually get them used to the idea of what we're doing. And you bring them along gradually. You don't, you know, we would, st <laughs> we would often start a retreat by pandering to their worst fears, you know. What does that look like? Well, I would dress as a, a very religious looking person <laughs> or, or myself or one of the others would dress and... Uh, so they're rolling their eyes thinking, oh, no, oh, here he goes. Go. And I'd, you know, I'd walk around with my Bible in my hand and I'd tell them, okay, we're going to, it's going to be really exciting. We're going to have, you know, we'd, we'd ham it up a bit, but, you know, we're going to have you know, a couple of hours of prayer. Then we're going to have a three hour service. And then, <laughs> and then uh, we're going to really get going after that, you know. And you'd see the look on these kids' faces and go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and when they brought up the subject of, and it's a two day fast, they nearly died. <laughs> 
Because then the idea was, you know, once we totally frightened the kids, we'd say, well, this is nothing of what it's going to be like. They're your worst fears. It's not going to be like this. It's going to be centred on where you are as a person. And yes, we will talk and about music. That. And well, yes, not always. But uh, interestingly, music wasn't as big a part of it as it probably should have been. Because you're more focused on actually running the retreat, you know, mm. than so the mechanics of actually keeping everything running, you know, writing sessions. We'd often change sessions at the last minute because, you know, you'd, you'd have A plan, but, but B and C had cropped up in, in the previous session, so we'd have to come up with a way of addressing B and C in the next few meetings. But often, you know, I'd, I'd always have my guitars in the lounge room at the retreat, and we'd often sit around at night after the retreat had finished for the day playing and singing and doing all that stuff so yeah and you reckon you made contact oh absolutely absolutely we did you know we'd regularly we call it we'd, we'd always take kids the students for a walk through the bush uh, at, at the end of a day we'd offer a night walk and some of the discussions you would have with students you know because now we're not in the formal process of doing the retreat sessions but the, the students you'd find students would idly up alongside you and they'd start talking to you about some of the stuff that had been said that day and you know, it was quite an interesting we called it the session where you can never write because mm. people would just naturally communicate with you you mm. know and so you talk about some of the some of their deep fears and some of their their questions about faith and that sort of thing so yeah no i mean who knows it's one of those things where they, they pass through our place for three days and you know then we never saw him again so mm-hmm. you, you got no idea but and all we would ever pray is that some sort of seed would be planted mm-hmm. yeah you're listening to the story today we're hearing musician mick mcgiver share his life journey next we'll hear some of his music and the inspiration behind a few of his songs that and more when we return the story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is musician Mick McIver. And before we get back to his story, here's some of his music. And as we heard before the break, Mick and his wife used to host spiritual retreats for teenagers. And those retreats inspired him to write this song called Reality. Just because I can't see you Doesn't mean that you're not real Just because I can't touch you doesn't mean that I can't feel Oh no Just coincidentally My life's kind of strange All the pieces fall together In a funny kind of way Everything's changed Nothing stayed the same Reality of reason Never be the same 
That's the song Reality by our guest today, Mick McIver. Now, Mick, tell us a little bit more about the story behind that song. There was no one story behind it, but it's more a sense of a gathering sense of when you sit in a room with people that are genuinely getting to the point where they are honestly questioning their faith and what they believe in, um, then you, know, you hear the same story repeated over and over again. And, you, and I guess this song was like trying to collect and distill uh, all those years of listening to those kids crying out for you know that they want to believe in this. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to give them a path that they can walk. Uh, where they can believe in it. You know. So the, the song Reality, without waffling too much, um, it really sprung out of one line. And, uh, it was a blessing we used to kind of, at the end of a retreat, we used to give a couple of different blessings, like, um, benedictions, if you like. Mm-hmm. And one was, may the peace of Christ disturb you. Uh, that was Oh, my- that's a provocative line. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? Well, what do you think it means? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, what do you think? <laughs> they get starting to think about Christ where perhaps they never had before. And a retreat like this was a great seed that Mick and his team were sowing. Well, one of the lines in the song, thank you for that. That was very good. See how I handballed that off to Peter? That's <laughs> very good. Yeah, professionally. Yeah. Does anything change? Does your heart long for more? So that's kind of the, yeah. the thinking. So the line before that is the pertinent one. Yeah. When you're on your own and it's just you. And that's what the other blessing mm-hmm. we used to leave them with is when you get home and you're on your own and you haven't got your peer group around you distracting you mm-hmm. and it's just you in your room, think back on some of the things that happened and some of the things that reacted in your heart. So when you're on and it's just you, does anything change? Mm-hmm. Does your heart long for more? Because you know, you, you'll get to the point where you just can't reason faith anymore. You've just got to accept that this is what you believe. You know? Some would say that's somewhat simplistic, but I'd, I'd say it's more poetic. It's actually what we saw happen, you know, that mm-hmm. people would have these great moments and you'd want them to go home and not lose that. You know, just just savour that in your mouth for a little bit, you know, that mm-hmm. you actually had a connection. And don't let the peer group distract you. Just recognise that that happened and find somewhere to put that that you can use it. And that's always the challenge of camps or retreats. You can have this emotional high, a spiritual connection with God where you're close to him, very emotional peak, but then how do you keep that going throughout your whole life so it's not just a one-off experience? That's it. Got it in a nutshell, Mm -hmm. yep. So that's what you uh, were trying to kind of capture that with the song. Yeah, that's reality. it. Try, trying to just get a sense of what that was all about, you know. And and since that moment, then you know, there's there's people in in my own family that I sing that for, you know, that mm-hmm. that, that have moments where they connect. Yeah, you know, and it's I, I guess it's offered as a song for anyone who has a moment like that where when you you get that inkling of a spark or a connection, then don't let go of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Savor it like a really great taste in your mouth, and, and let it let it become something that you you want that you want to taste that again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, long for it. I think Mick and his music have inspired thousands over the years that I've known him. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. He was a a great provider of wonderful music in the church that we both belong to, and that I'm sure helped connect people to Christ. Thanks, Ben. Uh, really did. Very kind of. Well, it took me all these years to find out What I already know That every step on every journey Always leads me back to home Home 
And it seems like all the voices try to sell some point of view It's just you Does anything change? Does your heart long for more? Reality of reason Just goes flying out your door One thing that's neat about your CDs is uh, they've pretty much been a family affair. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. We've got a very, very musical family. We we did a lot of music in church together when they were growing up, and they've all become really good musicians in their own right. My son's a brilliant drummer. My daughter is a just, just a songwriter made in heaven, you know. And um, my other son Jeremy is in his own band and plays music. And my wife, Bernadette's a really great singer and a great percussionist. And so I suspect the album you're leaning towards is the one called Twilight Waltz. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I was learning how to use the music software, so I thought I've got a whole bunch of instrumentals I'll record. And I had I just drew on my family. I said, "Come and play. You know, can you come and play this? Can you do that? Can you play percussion on this? Can you?" And um, my daughter even wrote one song for it, which was called Summerstorm. a little bit about making that what was it like you you said you started off just doing it in your home yeah i've got a small home studio set up um with uh, pro tools which is the industry standard and some good microphones so it was like well why would i pay a studio i'll just do it uh, which is has some interesting side effects because if you put headphones on and listen to the album you can hear a car going up a hill <laughs> is that right <laughs> And I, I drew the line at my neighbour walking past the window one day, coughing his little heart out. I thought, no, maybe I can't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but but you were just doing this more or less for yourself, originally? yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and I had a, a musical confidant that I um that I sit at the feet of his wisdom pretty regularly, and he said, no, you got to do a bit more with this one because it's actually a really good album. So, what was a, just a side project to learn how to use the software it ended up being a fully blown album that featured all the members of my family plus a few special friends. So. Well, and it's called Twilight Waltz. It's available on iTunes. I picked up a few of those songs myself the other day. Very good. Fantastic. There you go, supporting the arts there. There you go. Checks in the mail. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time. We're going to hear some of your daughter playing the piano, you playing guitar together, and your wife's on that. Any final comments about uh, music for some aspiring musicians out there? Uh, look, what, what I will close with is I had a friend that I used to encourage a fair bit, and he used to berate his musical gift. Uh, and I, I said to him, do you realize every time you berate the gift that you, or belittle the gift that you think you've been given, you belittle the gift that God gave you, so you're actually belittling God. Mm. So you actually, if you think it's a gift, then you need to explore that and explore it with some people that you trust, you know, and get better at it, you know, um, if, that, if you think that's what you're called to. And there's all sorts of ways to do that. Well, Mick, thank you so much for sharing your insights and the stories you're behind welcome. some of your songs. Now Thanks, Pete. Good for to see you again, Mick. Good to be seen, right. Pete. Yeah. And we'll end today with more of Mick's music. And if you'd like to learn more about his music, you can go to his website, 
mickmcgiver.com. That's mickmcgiver.com. was Eric Scadabo and Peter Manhattan chatting with musician Mick MacGyver from Victoria's Yarra Valley. It was great to hear how God's been working in his life, everything from sharing seeds of faith in the lives of teenagers to making beautiful music together with his family. A rich and full life indeed. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The story, just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.